maybe you could get me a glass of water, could you please, sister? Thank you. At, at risk of repetition, folks, I know some folks weren't here on Thursday night. On May the 28th, that's a Saturday morning, um, I'm trying to... Uh, I've enrolled in a... a, a training course for biblical counselling. I'm by no means an expert. I'm learning. But I've been really encouraged and helped by what I'm learning. And I want to try and uh, encourage others to get involved in it. So I've got a, a, an introductory video, which has been a real help to me, which I want to show to anybody that wants to see it. It's not compulsory. On May 28th at half past 10 in the morning, that's a Saturday morning, we'll meet for coffee and cookies and we'll have, I'll let you see this video. And I hope it will be as much a blessing to you and encouragement to you as it was to me. So we're now going to read 1 Corinthians chapter number 5. We're going to read the whole chapter. If you have a Bible, please follow along for a variety of reasons. One is we will not cover every detail of this chapter in the 30 minutes that we've got. By no means will we cover every detail. And it may be at the end of the chapter and at the end of the, uh, the session, you've actually got more questions than answers. So I would like you just to read along, read carefully with me so that you'll get the whole chapter and then as I talk a little bit about the surrounding of the chapter and the importance of the chapter, maybe afterwards we could have some discussion and questions if you've got any questions. We're starting the second section of 1 Corinthians and it's a, the first four chapters have been occupied with personality issues, you know, schisms and divisions and people following this preacher and that preacher and the other preacher. And Paul's taken four chapters to tease out the whole the whole damage that following pe preachers does. And he said, we are, there's only one we have our mind on, isn't it? We do it all for Christ and for the glory of Christ. A bit further on in the book, he'll talk about doctrinal matters. People have got their doctrine wrong. And some people had actually got um, uh, their doctrine wrong about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But this section that we're going to look at now, from 5, and it goes a few chapters, it goes 5, 6, 7, 8 and 9, it's all about moral issues in the church. Now let me explain what I mean by moral issues. Morality covers many, many subjects. And it means the difference between right and wrong. Is it right or is it wrong? Our problem is we live in a world where they move the goalposts with morality. They change morality and it becomes relative. And what's right now wasn't right 30 years ago and 40 years ago. And, and the world changes its, its judgment of what's right and wrong. God never changes his judgment of being right and wrong. What's always right is always right and what's always wrong is always wrong. And things morally had gone wrong in the Corinthian church. They had accepted things as right that were wrong. And Paul's going to address those matters now. This section, however, I should, for this chapter, I very rarely have to give a warning about my ministry, but there's a kind of parental guidance warning about this chapter, because this is dealing with particularly sexual immorality. Now, I won't be using words that will be crude or vulgar or offensive. I'll be very sensitive in what I want to say. Please don't worry about that. I don't want to shock or affront or embarrass anybody. I don't. But Paul deals very specifically with what happens when sexual immorality comes into the church. And so we must read it carefully. And remember that God does not 
change his standards. We're going to read and we're going to discover that what the world considers acceptable, God does not consider acceptable. And if we hold as Christians to the word of God, the truth of the word of God, we'll be going to become increasingly up against the world and its ways. It's going to bring us into conflict. There's no doubt about that. And when we believe what we believe from the Bible, we're going to discover that the world does not believe it. And matter of fact, will not only not believe it, they will want to suppress us and suppress the truth. So I'm just kind of warning you here that we're treading in a minefield when it comes to Christian living. We're we're walking a tightrope to keep faithful to God and the world wants to knock us off. It really does. So, So let's read it. We'll read the whole chapter. I'll try not to make any comments as we go through just so that you get the whole teaching again. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you and such fornication as not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. And ye are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed may be taken away from among you. For I verily or truly, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath done this deed. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together, and my spirit, with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such an one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Your glorying or your boasting is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, and as ye are unleavened, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us, therefore let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote unto you in an epistle. Now, just stop a minute. That means this is at least the second letter to Corinthians, doesn't it? There must have been a previous one, which God hasn't preserved for us. I wrote unto you in an epistle or a letter, not to company with fornicators. Yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or with idolaters, for then you must needs go out of the world. But now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or an extortioner or an idolater or covetous or a railer or a drunkard. With such an one know not to eat. For what have I to do to judge them that are without? Do you not judge them that are within? But them that are without, God judgeth. Therefore, put away from among you yourselves that wicked person. This is a very solemn passage of the word of God. Very serious and very practical. And Brother Sid, in his introduction to 1 Corinthians, painted for us a very graphic picture of what the moral condition of Corinth was like. And I think we all decided that Corinth was very much like the United Kingdom in 2022. 
And we saw very clearly how the, the relevance of the teaching in 1 Corinthians is so relevant to us today. There are things that I wish I had understood younger in my Christian life. Because if I had young, understood them a long time ago when I was the boy's age, for example, it would have saved me from a lot of difficulty and heartache and problems. And I come to them later in life and regret that I didn't come to them earlier. I mean, it's taken as read, it's taken for granted that Christians read the Bible. Isn't that right? I mean, that's just, it's just a, it's a, a no-brainer. Peter says, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. So if Christians don't read their Bible, it's like a baby that's born that's not hungry. And you look at a baby if it's born and it's not hungry, the alarm bells start to ring and the concern starts to grow and you think this is not right, this is not right. And you get a Christian that doesn't read your Bible and they think this is not right. But what scared me a lot, folks, was when I was reading Second Timothy and, and, and Paul says this, study to show thyself approved unto God. And I'm not an academic. You guys know me. I'm not bright. I'm not in any way uh, endowed with intelligence. But, but Paul's saying, listen, there's more to the Bible than just what you read on the surface. You have to take time and study it. And that's why a Christian life is a life of adventure and pursuing the truths of the word of God. If somebody stands up here and says, you know what, guys, I know it all, listen to me, you can be sure that he's got it completely wrong. Completely wrong. Here's something I understood too late in life. When Paul went around preaching, he wasn't just interested in seeing people's souls saved. He was interested in seeing people's souls saved. Absolutely. You know, and that's what we'll do this afternoon. We'll stand up here and we'll look at people that are not saved on the road to hell and we'll plead with them to turn to Christ to be saved. That's what we'll do. Because that's so important, isn't it? Friends, relatives, neighbours, just, we just love them for the Lord and we want to see them in heaven, don't we? And Paul did that. But you, you remember how long he spent at Corinth? Remember how long he spent at Corinth? 18 months. Because Paul's interested in not just seeing people plucked out of the fire. He's interested in seeing congregations, companies of Christians gathered together to the name of the Lord Jesus like Christian communities in a locality that shine his lights for the world. When he leaves, he wants there to be a local church left behind. Not just individuals meeting at home, reading their Bible and saying they're on the road to heaven. He wants to see healthy local churches and so he'll teach baptism and he'll teach the need to, to come together and he'll teach the need to break bread and he'll, he'll say, listen, I'm not just interested in you being saved. I want there to be in Corinth a, a, a local church that shines for the Lord. So have you noticed that in the New Testament of the 13 letters that Paul writes, do you know how many of them are to individuals? Only four. Nine of them are to local churches. Isn't that really interesting? And I, I, I did some calculations this morning. Of the nine letters to the churches, there are 72 chapters to churches and 14 chapters to individuals. And you start to think, Paul must think it's really important that local churches are healthy and well taught and preserved. Then I noticed this. Of the 72 chapters written to local churches, do you know how many chapters are written to Corinth? 29. 40% of Paul's writing to churches is to, the book, is to the church at Corinth. And you think, okay, it must be really, really important what he's teaching the church at Corinth. 
So when we come to chapter 5, we've discovered this, that one of the things that really occupies Paul's mind in a local church is, a local church needs to be kept holy and pure for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he's going to teach in First in Corinthians 5 that it's really important that everybody within the local fellowship maintains a life of moral purity. Now, I, I just want to, and so we'll just think about this. I'm going to, I'm just, I'll, I'll tell you what my, my outline is so that you just, we won't get through it in the next 15 minutes. The first thing he talks about is the seriousness of, I'm trying to use words, uh, sexual immorality. It's a very big deal amongst Christians. Now, it's not a big deal in the world. It's not. And sadly, if you go to state schools, the state schools will teach it's not a big deal. As a matter of fact, it's something that you should indulge in and experiment with. And the Bible says, again, please, I want to just try and be as sensitive as possible. God has designed the institution of marriage, right? And in the institution of marriage, there is the glory and delight of sexual relationships. Any sexual relationship outside the institution of marriage, now I'm, I'm going to say it again, any sexual relationship or activity outside the institution of marriage dishonours God and dishonours his, his word. Now that covers a multitude of things, I know that. And when we define marriage, we define marriage according to the word of God. We define marriage as one man, one woman for life. So any sexual activity, so, so that's what, so, so you see in verse 1 it says, it is reported commonly that there is fornication amongst you. That word fornication, it's the word pornea, which really is the root word for our word pornography, right? That, that's what it means. And Paul is appalled, appalled that the Christians should tolerate any things in that area that are outside of marriage. Now, folks, that doesn't just include activity. It includes viewing and thinking. Because the Lord said, you remember the Lord, he says, you know, the Bible says, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I have said to you, if a man looks at a woman and lusts after her in his heart, has already committed adultery in his heart. So the Lord's not, so this is not just talking about... For, fornication's an umbrella word that covers all perversion, all illegitimate sexual activity outside of marriage. And that, that's what he says. And Paul says this, listen, it's a big deal. It's a big deal if somebody's involved in that. Folks, it is a big deal. It's a big deal in your own life if that's what you're involved in. And it's a big deal in the local church if somebody's involved in that as well. We'll see that as we go. So the seriousness of it. But then Paul will say in this chapter, it's a matter that needs to be judged, right? You can't just close your eyes and look away and pretend it doesn't happen. You can't just say, well, I'm sorry, but it's 2022. You know, come on, catch up, folks, catch up. Paul says, no, 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 excuse me. Corinth, it was prolific and it was popular, and it was accepted, and Paul says, I don't care what society says, it shouldn't happen in the church. 
These things should not be tolerated in the church. And Paul says, if it's known that it's happening, you have to do something about it. And he's going to tell us what to do about it. And folks, it's pretty straightforward. And it's pretty severe. It's pretty severe. Now, now, just, this, is a, this is a chapter of church discipline. That, that's really what it's about. Local churches have a responsibility to maintain godly discipline in the company. And elders are really charged with that primary responsibility, aren't they? And you know, we don't have time to develop it, but godly discipline in an assembly is always with a view to the person being disciplined being recovered, right? It's not like, it's not like a cancer that you want to cut out and throw away. It's, a, it's somebody that's wounded and broken and it needs to be disciplined and helped so that they'll come back. That's the idea. The idea is to come back. So you'll see the judgment of it. You'll see the reason for the discipline. You know what the reason for the discipline is? And he uses the idea of leaven. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. And we'll talk about Exodus 12 and the Passover and what, what that really means. And I've actually learned this week that what I thought that meant all my life is not actually what it means. <laughs> it means something completely different. And we'll talk about that in a minute. And then we'll see that there's implications with that. Did you, did you notice... You've got to not eat with them. You've not to deliver them. To, you have to deliver them to Satan. But you've not to cut yourself off from the world. This is not, you know, cut your. This is specifically and deliberately and individually somebody that's in rebellion against the word of God. So that that's the kind of outline of the chapter. So let's just see some of the things that notice some details. It's reported commonly among you that there's fornication among you, and such fornication is not so much named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife, and ye are puffed up, and have not rather mourned that he hath done this deed. So what's happened is, somebody in the church is practising something that's very immoral, right? And it's not just known about, it's tolerated, and it's not just tolerated, it's boasted about, and it's not just the type of activity that's going on in Corinth, even what's happening in the church is not happening in the world. The church is behaving worse than the, the world. The folks, it's bad enough when the folks in the church behave the same as the world. It's even a bigger issue when we behave worse than the world. Have you ever, have you ever met somebody or done something and you think, even a, non, even a non-Christian wouldn't do that? Even a non-Christian? That's not even courteous, never mind Christian. That's what they were doing. They were boasting about this fornication that was not so much named even in the, in the world. And so we come to this, and I say this to you, that a local church should be a place of moral purity. We should not adopt the same moral standards as the world. We adopt the standards of the word of God. We don't ask, what's the law? We ask, What's the word of God, don't we? That's what we do. We don't ask, what is everybody doing? We ask, what has God said in his word? And this is what he's saying. Now, by the time it gets to here, I'm assuming, and you can maybe discuss this with me, Arthur, I'm assuming that the person that knows about the other person's behaviour has followed the prescribed route of Matthew 18. You know, if, if I knew some, if, if there was a problem between me and another brother, or I knew something about another brother, and I was worried about another brother or sister, do you know what the Lord says? Go to them first individually. Speak to them personally. Right? So don't be making a big song and dance in public about something that you haven't spoken to somebody about personally. Right? 
And if the person don't, doesn't listen to you, you say, look, I'm sorry, I've heard that you're indulging in this, and I'm not accusing you, I just want to make sure, is it true or is it not true? Yes, it's true. Well, you know, that's not the way a Christian should behave. I don't care, go away, right? So what do you do in that situation? You go and get another brother, and you go with either two or three, and you sit down with a person and you say, look, listen, we don't want to make a big song and dance out of this, but you know, there's a couple of us here and we're really concerned. You're getting off the track. Things are going wrong. You're behaving in a way that not even the world behaves. You know, you need to stop that and be reconciled to the Lord. And the person says, go away, I'm not interested. Only then, only then, do you take it to the local church. Isn't that what the Lord said? You try and deal with it properly and appropriately and privately before it gets to a public thing. But I'm assuming that this has happened now and not only the person but the whole church is saying we don't care. So Paul's having to write his apostle and say, you don't care but God cares. God cares. And he's saying, listen, what you've got to do with the person who's behaving that way, look at this, eh? he might be taken away from among you. Now, we can discuss this, but it seems to me that in certain circumstances, particularly of sexual immorality, there comes a time when a very serious course of action has to be taken and somebody has to be put out of the church of God. Now, we see that. I confess to you, I've been in assemblies where that's had to happen. It's probably some of the hardest, most difficult saddest grief sometimes that a church could ever go through when somebody has to be put away. But do you know what that teaches us? Now that doesn't mean you can't come to the meetings. That's not what it means. That's not what it means, right? It doesn't mean go away and never darken the doors of the hall again. That's not what it means. That's not what it means. It just means, I'm sorry, you can't be part of the official recognised fellowship of this local church anymore. We're having to put you outside. So a local church has a very distinct inside and outside. A local church is a very much, a, in Paul's mind, it's got a very much those who are in the fellowship and those who are outside the fellowship. And so, a local church is not just a kind of loose association of people that come to the same place on a Sunday. Like, like you go to meet somebody at Tesco's on a Saturday. You, you, the, the local church is not like going to meet your friends at Tesco's. Or, or, or going bowling. Or, or, that's not what it's, a local church is. A local church is a a definite, decisive congregation of people who say, I belong. Now, belonging to a, on, a, on another thing altogether, belonging to a local church is a two-way street. Isn't that right? You don't just sit there and say, like a, like a, like a, chick, in a, like a chick in a nest with your mouth open, and say, feed me, feed me, feed me, and if you're not feeding me, I'll go to another nest. Now, a local church is a place where you do get fed, but it's also a two-way street. There's not only privilege, there's also responsibility in a local church, and we'll, we'll learn that as we go on, that when you're in a local church, you're not just there to sit. You're committed to the life of the local church. You, you know where I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about the body truth I'm at late, later on. So he has to be taken away from among you. But let's go. For I... Verily absent in body, but present in spirit, have already judged that he has done this deed in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ when you are gathered together in my spirit with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such an one unto Satan. Now, we are getting serious now, aren't we? I mean, that's no language you would expect anybody to say to another Christian, isn't it? I'm delivering you to Satan. Eh? Come 
brother, sit down. We've heard some stories about you and we're about to deliver you to Satan. I mean, that's not exactly the way you would want to go about it, is it, really? But what he's saying is, listen, that person has got to be let go. Let go. You put them out and you just view them as though they're in the realm of... What's the realm of Satan? The realm of Satan's the world, isn't it? Now, folks, let me tell you. If that person is not a true Christian, they need to be delivered into the world so that they can hear the gospel, right? But if they are a true Christian, right? You say that's a terrible thing to do, a Christian, to put them out. You are absolutely right about that. But you know what? You have to leave their welfare to God in this situation. Because there's a big issue at stake here we're about to see. That the, the welfare of the individual, look what it says, that their spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. If they're a true Christian, you can be sure God will have a, an eternal destiny for them. So, so don't think by putting them out, you're, you're, you're destined them to, to, to hell. But what he's saying is you have to put them out so that the local church will remain healthy. The greater good. The church of all, the the. the Spiritual welfare of all the Christians and the church is really important here. And this one individual might have to, to suffer a bit before they come back, but it's for the good of everybody else. So that's why he says in the next little bit, here's the reason for it. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? And I'll, I'll finish with you. Purge out there for the old leaven. So here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking about lockdown and deciding that I would try and make some bread. Never made bread before in my life. I thought I would make some bread. Plenty of time on my hands. I can tell you right now, I was considerably less successful than Andrew has been. <laughs> but I know you have to get yeast for bread, don't you? You take yeast and you put it into bread and you go to Asda and you get the activated yeast in the, in the thing and you put it in the bread. And I thought leaven was yeast that you just added in. You know, so you get a... You get a You've got a bottle of yeast, you make your stuff, you pour in the, the, the yeast, and away it goes. But that's not what this means. Because leaven in the Old Testament, we, we need to really talk about Exodus 12 and, and the children of Israel coming out, the Passover, because when they left Egypt, they had to go with unleavened bread. Right? Isn't that right? So what they're saying is, we're done with the old, we don't want any part of Egypt to go with us. Because when they made bread in the Old Testament, maybe the New Testament too, I learned this this week, they, they make the, the dough and it's all a leavened dough. And before they bake it, the lady takes a lump of the, the loaf, right? She takes a pinches a lump off and she keeps a, a lump of that and puts the, the bread in the oven. Then when she comes to make another loaf, she takes the old lump from the past and mixes it in with the new stuff and then pinches that bit off and keeps that for the next time. And so what the leaven is, is it's a bit of the old life. It's a bit of the old lump. It's a bit of the old bread. And Paul's saying this. Listen, do you know what you've been doing, guys? You've been bringing a bit of your old life into your new life. You're supposed to leave all that stuff behind. Because if you bring a little bit of your old life into your new life, what happens? You don't dissolve the leaven. The leaven spoils the new life, doesn't it? Now listen. If any man be in Christ, he is new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, most things have become new. But that's not what the Bible says. It says all things have become new. So, so Paul's saying, listen, 
if you allow all that stuff for the old Corinthian life to come in amongst the assembly, do you know what's going to happen? Before you know where you are, the whole assembly will be affected. You'll have destroyed the testimony. Can you see the reason for the discipline? The reason for the discipline is not to punish the individual. It's to preserve the testimony for God. Now, the individual will hopefully be recovered. But the idea primarily is, unless you deal with it, this whole testimony is going to fall apart. Folks, I can think, in my experience, of whole local churches that have been destroyed because they wouldn't deal with issues, particularly moral issues. Because it was in the family. <laughs> it's one of my family. I can't deal with it if it's in my family. Paul says, no, no, no. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Then he says, I wrote an epistle not to company with fornicators. Okay? So don't keep company with people like that. Now, <laughs> bad company corrupts good manners. Isn't that right? Now, that's true in a universal sense, in a worldly sense. And so you look at Christians and you look at what company they keep generally. And you think to yourself, well, if that's the company you keep generally, it's no wonder you're no progressing in your Christian life. Isn't that right? Or you look at Christians and you see that all they ever do is gravitate towards other Christians. Show me where there's Christians and I'll go. Show me where the word of God's read and I'll go. And So what company you keep affects your life, right? He says not to keep company with fornicators. But he says not with the fornicators of the world. Because if that was true, you know, you wouldn't be able to walk five minutes down the road before you met somebody that was living that type of lifestyle. Isn't that right? What he's saying is, listen, this has got to do with Christians that profess to be a Christian but are behaving in a non-Christian way, particularly in the area of sexual morality. Isn't that right? Now the Lord said, the Lord said, you're in the world, but you're not of the world. If you were not to keep company with these type of people, the Lord would have to take you out of the world. Now, I go two days a week into HMP Durham to, to witness for the Lord, and I don't go into any office anywhere but these people are not practicing these and talking about these and boasting about these sort of stuff. So if I was not to keep company with these people, I couldn't go out to these places to witness. But that's not what the Lord's saying. Look what he says. Yet not altogether with the fornicators of the world or with covetous or extortioners or idolaters, for then you must needs go out of the world. But I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother, okay? So we're talking about Christians now. There are some Christians that really, folks, you can't be seen to be walking with in an official and a regular way. Right? Now, <laughs> I need to finish. When somebody's like this, elders go after lost sheep. Okay, folks, you've got to understand that. Elders go after lost sheep. So if somebody falls down in this area, it's an elder's responsibility not to say, I've got nothing more to do with you. It's to look at the lost sheep and say, let me try and help you. Let me try and help you. But the general rule for Christians is that if somebody is known to be practicing in publicly in rebellion in these areas, that's somebody you can say, look, I'm, I'm really sorry, but you know, I, I would love to spend some time with you, but... You, can he? Because by spending time with you, I'm associating with what you're doing. People know what you're like and they'll think I'm like that as well. And you, you have to be really, really careful. But look what he says. Any brother that is a fornicator, now we've already covered that, haven't we? But he's got a few more things to say as well. Any brother that's covetous, 
Do you know what that is, don't you? Just spends their whole life in pursuit of money. Now, folks, we all need money to live. We all need that. And we all need a job to live if we can. But working to earn a living to survive is not the same as devoting yourself to pursuing every penny you can get your hand on. Is it really? So we're talking about Paul saying that's actually in the same category as fornication. Somebody's like that. Here's another one. An idolater. You say, uh, no Buddhists. No, no, he's not talking about Buddhism, is he? He's talking about those that, you know, just have other things more important than the Lord. I would go, I would pursue the things of the Lord, but you know, I've got to do this first. And I've got to do that first. And I've got to go here first. And I've got to do there first. And the things that, I, I, I'll fit the Lord in when I can fit the Lord in when it suits me. That's actually idolatry, isn't it? Or a railer. A railer. Mm, what's a railer? A railer is somebody that's known to be speaking bad about their brothers and sisters. Speaks bad about them. Speaks bad to them. And speaks bad about them. Sometimes we tolerate that, don't we, really? And we shouldn't. Look at this one. Or a drunkard. Somebody immediately gets shocking and says, Jim, the Bible does not say a Christian can't drink alcohol. Folks, if I had a verse in the Bible that says Christians can't drink alcohol, I would read it to you, shut my Bible and go home because it's clear as a bell. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible does say that drunkenness is sin. Okay? And you say, well, define drunkenness. You're dead right. That's the problem, folks. That's the problem. It's such a difficult thing to define, isn't it? So let me tell you, I state my case clearly as possible. I've got a hobby horse about it. I, can't, I haven't got a verse that says Christians shouldn't drink alcohol. I don't. But I do think I can make a perfectly strong and valid case from the Bible that for Christians, abstinence is the best course of action. I really believe that. And if you're interested in that, I'll show you. I've actually written about it. I've actually written a book about it. Not a book, but it's a booklet. So I can't say Christians shouldn't drink alcohol. I can't. I can tell you this. I can tell you that the Bible says abstinence is by far the best way to work, to live. It'll save you from a lot of problems and difficulties. It'll save you from all those great areas. Have I had enough? Have I not had enough? Am I still am I in control? Am I not in control? It'll save you from all that nonsense. A hobby horse, I'm sorry. Or an extortioner. Look at this. With such an one, no not to eat. What does that mean? Does that mean you can't have a sandwich with them if you meet them in the park? I don't think so. You, you know what eating is, don't you? Remember last Sunday? We ate together. What were we doing when we were eating together? Actually, the food was fantastic. But the food was only the secondary part of that, wasn't it, really? What were we doing when we were eating together? We were having fellowship together. We were putting our arms around each other and saying, why, we love you. We love just spending time together. That's what we love to do. He's saying, listen, don't you be behaving like that to a brother that's under discipline. Don't you just be throwing your arms about him and pretending everything's okay and just, just, you know, just going on as if it's normal. He says this, but them that are without, for what have I to do to judge them that are without? Did not ye judge them that are within? But them that are without, God judges. Folks, we are called to maintain 
God's standards on earth. Yeah, right, okay. But we mustn't become holier than thou, venomous condemners of poor sinners that don't know any better. We hold up God's standards and we believe in God's words, but we've got lots of friends and relatives and poor people that don't say it like that, haven't we, really? And God will look after, God will judge them, but look at this. But them that are without God judgeth, therefore put away from you yourselves that wicked person. Can you see what's happening here? Church discipline is really important because it affects everybody in the church. So we stop and finish. If you're behaving in a way that is inconsistent with the word of God, right, and nobody else knows, and you think it's having no effect on anybody but you, this chapter proves that you're wrong. That whether you know it or not, your behaviour affects every other person in the local church and affects the local church testimony. And that doesn't mean we go nosing about trying to get into everybody's business and fight. That's not what I mean. But we must keep ourselves pure before the Lord, isn't it that, right? Jude says that the Lord saved us to purify for himself a people. We must keep, and Paul writes to Timothy and he says, Timothy, keep yourself, what? Pure, <coughs> pure. Because if we've got that leaven in our life, we'll bring it in amongst the company and the whole company will be affected. And sometimes you know that in an assembly. There's just something wrong somewhere. Isn't that right? And you can't put your finger on it and you don't know who it is and you just know there's something wrong. Well, that's the way God works until we put it right. I hope that made sense, folks. I was trying to be as tactful and diplomatic and sensitive as I could on an area that's really very relevant and very shocking. So we trust the Lord will bless us. And we trust, we pray the Lord, that we don't have situations like that here in the local church. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful to be together. Grateful for thy word. We stumble over it at times, Lord. And we pray that we might not make it more difficult by our words. And we just pray that the word of God might speak from, for itself in these particular situations. We understand the seriousness of that. We understand the sanctity of a local church and we pray that you'll help us to maintain that and in our own lives too. We give thanks. We thank you for a lot of refreshments and we give thanks now in the Lord's name. Amen. Sorry folks, I've done a little bit more. We need to turn the volume up on the coffee percolator because I didn't hear it. And we're going to have a cup of coffee and some refreshments. Hey, can I? Oh, yes. Doozy's just reminded me.